Hello and welcome back to another episode of Going Through the Motions with me, Callum. And me, Alex. How's it going, guys? The podcast voted most likely to shift from a music and movies podcast to a hair and styling products podcast. Over to you, Alex. What are your woes currently? Oh, it, it, there's just hair everywhere, mate. <laughs> All over my face. You're like, like a, You're like a shit golden retriever. That's what you look like. Yeah. Genuinely, like, I've gone... When I've washed my hair and I come out of the shower, I've genuinely gone full beaver. Like, it's like... My, my standard, it's like, I think it's a quintessentially male thing. Maybe that's unfairly stereotyping. I don't know. But when I choose to go get a haircut is when, when I come out of the shower, I can see my the top, the top of my fringe in my eyeline. Yes. Right? That's when I'm like, okay, I need a haircut. Now, my fringe totally covers my eyes. Oh, and it's disgusting. No. What are you going to do? You've got to have to look more at yourself. So I can oh. give you some fun tips and tricks. Now, you may remember a few years back, I uh, had quite a lot of hair and it, it went on too long. I was traveling and it. I think it I remember just... Remember it fond. Yeah, I was traveling and I, and I think in my head, I just, it was, it was, a, I, I say that it was because I was traveling and I also said because it was cheaper because I didn't have to go to a barber and get it cut or something like that. But ultimately, I think the reason why I grew my hair long was utter laziness and uh so you are my friend at what i call the sticky awkward length stage and it is a pain in the arse this stage and i've been there before i'm currently there myself but there is a way out of it there comes a time in every man's life when he is growing his hair out that he goes from the forward comb so when you get your brush after your shower comb forward to the back comb Right. Friend, you are nearly there. In fact, if you can see your hair, you're there. But it will change perspective. All you need to do, mate, when you go out in the shower, soaking wet, wash your hair backwards. There you go. There, like a mane, like the lioness right. that you are. And then you get the brush and you comb it. Give it a nice fucking comb. Get it really, really far back, right? Then you get that gel and you lather it around your hands. Bit of VO5, nothing too, nothing too taxing, nothing too tacky. All right, you want to be able to have it just stick your fingers together. You can hear that just in the mic. Then you run those hands through those hair. You get those big sausages of fingers that you have, and you get right in through there. Give yourself a wee treat for a few couple of seconds. And Who then you, you call it sausage fingers. <laughs> I've got very my fingers, are, my fingers are nimble, my friend. I've got spindly <laughs> fingers as well. So then you get those little chopsticks through the through the hair, and then finally you just keep going, and you just keep you keep combing it back, and soon you have a beautiful, luscious back combed hair, what like Leo had in Titanic. I mean, that's really what I've always wanted. <laughs> and then you can set your virtual background to be the king of the world. Oh, uh, that, that'd be a glorious virtual background. <laughs> Just the ocean from the bow of a ship. And a backcomb. <laughs> and a backcomb, yeah. With dirty blonde hair. <laughs> can you give me some advice on the beard? Because the beard is something that I'm starting to go from. And, and I've not shaved my beard. This is probably one of the longest I've not shaved the beard. But in starting to, I had to start the mustache because I was sick of getting it. <laughs> That's disgusting. But I was sick of eating it whilst I was eating my food. So right. I'm now getting to the point where it's the side. So I look like one of those Cornwall fishermen that sings John Kanakanaka. So can you right. uh, give me some advice? Okay, so do you, do you use a beard trimmer? I do. Right. Is, so, is the advice, use that. 
<laughs> right. No, that's the start of the advice. Oh, here we go. Cheeky wee sod. You get the guard that you put on the yeah, trimmer. Yeah. Goes down uh, down the face like that, and that yeah. way you're combing it into your into your face. Because if you go up, uh, then you're just taking way too much hair off. Oh, uh, see, it, I, I never. I, I thought it was the case, but I now believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Because. Yeah. Because if you if you comb if you were to comb upwards, you'll see that they stand out a lot more. Uh-huh. Whereas you comb downwards, then it's really only the stray ones that you're getting rid of. Nice, nice. Alex, whilst I've got you, can I ask you yeah. another bit of advice? There's something else that yeah, I was just on. wondering. I've just whilst I've got webcam up, if I can shave this, just can you just have a look in here? Just have a look, just see if it's. <laughs> What do you think about them? Can I get them sheathed? I can't see anything. We are a music and movies podcast. Each week we take turns to discuss some of our favourite or maybe some of our more favorite albums as opposed to movies and maybe why movies were made of those albums or movies that are so synonymous with music that they cannot be uh, judged separately, much like your first movie. Yeah, it's an interesting pairing this week. In that this is an interesting pairing. And actually, taken seriously, I think they work quite well together. Yeah, no, definitely. I think you framed it really really well should i just uh dive right in dive it in yeah yeah right okay so i'm gonna start today with again uh old-time favorite of mine and actually my mother's all-time favorite movie that does uh, not surprise me in the slightest as in it's the sound of music it's the sound of music and just so i don't have to talk about my mother again while we're talking about this her famous story is that she went to the cinema to see this when she was six months old and she didn't make a sound. And that's when, and that's when she knew that she was in love with this film and with music and such. And she's going to, I'm going to get a big telling off or slagging her off. But <laughs> <laughs> No, we've all been there though. I think we've all been, I mean, you, everyone does have a favorite film. And I think that's a really, yeah. that, but that's a really great way of going. If you, if, if someone ever asks you, what's your favorite movie? The best, if, if you're unsure, think of the time you watched a film and just did nothing but were absorbed by it. Yeah. And no, that could be your favorite movie. So that's actually, yeah. that's don't, really don't sweet. Don't get me wrong. It is, a, it is a really, really nice story. And it does explain a lot <laughs> about <laughs> her. But she, she tells the story all the time. Like, we're, we're set to death, death of it. No, again, and she passed on this love of this movie to our kids, myself included. And yeah, it's been a, a rewatchable favorite of mine ever since. In the same sort of nostalgic category as Singing in the Rain. But okay. I think I love Singing in the Rain more than I love this movie. Ah, okay. I think it's, it's more fun. And also, one thing that Singing in the Rain has, the Sound of Music doesn't have, is the mental dancing. 
Like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. The dancing I, is quite I, I, some. I sometimes think that singing in the rain should be called should be called dancing in the rain because I feel like the dancing is such a visual feature of that film. Yeah. Now, before we go any further, Alex, you you made yeah. a really great point in that your mum grew up with this movie and this was her favorite movie, and she obviously imparted that love of this movie onto you and your sisters. Can you? Tell me now what movie that you have grown up. So what what is your version of uh, of the sound of music that you will insist that your 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 kids will love? Lord of the Rings. Really, that will be the one that you just put in front of them and you say, "See, that's interesting." You just you said that without hesitation, but now you're thinking again. I don't well, think it needs to be thought through. I think if that was just your first thought, that's the right answer, well, and I think that's a very good answer. Well, there's a couple of there's there's a couple of things to think about because obviously I don't think I would show Lord of the Rings to my kids until I knew that they would get it. Oh, oh so not so not if they would be terrified by the ring rates or anything. No, just they well, need no, to get exactly. it. You know, I wasn't I wasn't actually allowed to go and see Lord of the Rings until I had read the book because obviously we were eight eight and nine years old respectively at the time yeah. that it that it came out which was still, you know, relatively young. Not yeah. not too young to see them, but definitely too young to understand all of it. So I was told, you have to read the book. And, you know, if you enjoy the book and you want to see more, then yeah, you can go and see, you can go see the film. And I think, and I think that was really good. And I would, I, th- I think I would take a similar sort of tack, to be honest. But like, as far as like movies growing up with, then probably Singing in the Rain, you would show that one, but yeah. I was just thinking. But I was just thinking about if I was making the parallel to like my mum's experience of that really captivating cinema experience, mm. then it's got to be it's got to be Lord of the Rings because all three of those movies are still, you know, nearly twenty nearly twenty years down the line. Sure the best cinema experiences I've ever had. And that includes Avengers Endgame before you say yeah, anything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's difficult to know what to say in that opinion. Do you have, do you have one? Yeah. Well, so I've got two, one of them based on the cinema experience I had when I watched it was Finding Nemo. Oh, glorious. But the movie that I will put in front of my kids, I think first uh, that I think will be appropriate. And I think teach them a lot is Fox and the Hound. Oh yes, and uh, that's that's I saw that when I was young as well. My cousin's house. Oh goodness, that movie. Anyway, we're not talking about those. Back to back to sound of music. Yeah, that was really nice though. I got all warm and tingly inside. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a nice. It was a nice conversation piece. But yeah, sound of music. It's got an interesting backdrop for a happy family musical, doesn't it? Now I made a note on this on the backdrop of this, and. Um, the the imagery of the sequences, specifically the kind of do re mi sequence with the kids, and the imagery of Salzburg and 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 that you know, it's so iconic. If the the background and the mountains are incredible, and Brilliant. the 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 green meadows and the small village. It's it's the imagery alone. The backdrop you have is breathtaking. I've had I've had the opportunity to visit parts of the world like that and similar yeah. and they they are inc- just magnificent you know it's it's like it's almost the alps in summer just that well, kind of yeah I, it, the opening of this movie really captures that perfectly because i because actually the first sound you hear is like bird song yes and then it sort of very gradually builds 
into the Sound of Music Overture. And curiously, for an overture, usually an overture in old opera, and then it went into classic musicals like this because Rodgers and Hammerstein really took their craft craft from opera and modern opera. They, 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 they were really the, the natural progression. And one of the things they took was the traditional overture where you sort of highlight the songs that you're going to play yes in, in the entire musical and you sort of condense it into a sort of mashup so this was the first note that i had on this was that during this overture i made probably about six lines of notes i'm going to show you my notes here just to just oh. as a proof you might not be able to see it because i've got okay, a background bloody virtual background <laughs> i've not changed it i was i was doing a quiz with my mates and i decided to creep them out by taking off i haven't for some reason when they moved in they showed me all the photos of their flat and i i still have those photos so i've set one of those photos as my virtual background it's their kitchen i thought it would creep them out that's, the, that's, <laughs> that's an odd thing to make effort to do man. <laughs> i know i know i know i love it oh, I, ex- I explained that just so like yeah 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 it's what i did and that, that's fine yeah yeah as if that's a normal thing that humans do yeah I like to think that there's a I like I like to think there's a listener of the, of the podcast that go oh great I thought oh I was yeah the- me as well yeah, thank God I'm not the only one <laughs> as he carves his wood on his on his sill with his wonky eye his bad smell much like me yeah, this could go to a dark place let's move on <laughs> my overture notes were listening to it I went oh that song's in this thing I forgot oh yeah that song's in this. Oh yeah, that's so. And it was just like every song is in this movie. You forget how many great songs. You know, it was the first one that I had. I remember I didn't really hear this in in the overture, but I it just for some reason Edelweiss, which we'll get yeah. to obviously a little bit later, and then Doa Deer, and then my favorite things, and then So Long Farewell, and then Sixteen Going on Seventeen, and uh, High on a Hill. I was just like. All of these songs that I know, but I have a confession to make, Alex. This was the first time I'd ever watched this movie. Yeah. But I feel like I know all of the music in this. Like, I know all these songs. I've known them all my whole life. And all the imagery, all this, a lot of the scenes, I've just seen. Like, I've just, you can't escape this movie, even if you haven't watched it. It's everywhere. Yeah. Kind of like Star Wars, I suppose. I suppose, yeah, exactly. That's a really, yeah. A different genre. Yeah, exactly. It's like you'll you'll meet you'll meet a lot of people. You will meet a lot of people who haven't seen Star Wars, but you won't meet a lot of people who have who have never heard the names Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, or Darth, Darth Vader. Vader. Exactly, exactly. Like you know, it's Princess it's Leia. But but when the movie opens and the overture kind of starts, it doesn't start immediately with the overture, which is interesting. It starts with the title song. The sound of music, doesn't it? Yep. With you know the spinning and the the spinning on the hill, Julie Andrews spinning spinning on a mountain, and it's a great like big panning helicopter shot, isn't it? Yes, it, it just looks huge and wonderful and glorious. And then like for Julie Andrews, who she's got a stunning voice and yes. such a un- such a unique voice. I love the way that she overpronounce pronounces everything yes like you hear every single word you don't have to try with her she's just such a great communicator through song 
she reminded me of um, a girl that we went to school with who was a very musical, artsy um, person. I'm, I'm going to message you the name of this person because you'll agree. But yeah, the, the, over, the over-pronouncing, I was like, oh, that's... And it's so funny because obviously your mum was our music teacher at school and she taught singing. And you can, you can just see that that kind of annunciation was so important. I always remember it was so important to yep. her when she was teaching. Definitely. And it's, it's, it's really, it's really funny that when you watch Julie Andrews specifically in this and yeah, you, you see all those sequences, you just like, Oh, everything makes sense now. Everything makes yeah. sense. So because, it you do, because it is better, like it is better singing. You, you do enjoy it. It's, 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 uh, it's easier and it's, it's, it's great to listen to when someone actually sings properly and is, is trained to sing that way. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And she's just, a joy to watch and to listen to as well. Like you, you can't, you can't help but but smile whenever she like whenever she starts singing any mm. of her songs. Mm. And yeah, and I think the Rodgers and Hammerstein music really complements it as well because a lot of her introductions are like quite quite twinkly and a little bit a little bit cheeky, okay. and yeah, it just really really captures you. I was going to go back to backdrop. Because actually, what the point I was going to make when I mentioned backdrop was not so much like the physical setting of it, but the fact that this is a family musical set during the Anschluss. Yes, and that's a bit that's a bit of an odd one, isn't it? It is, yeah. I, I and I think it's I think it's really really I think it's really great, but it's also quite jarring. You've got this kind of under rumbling of the Nazis and the Nazi party yeah. throughout. I guess the, the the most part of the film and with this captain and it's and it's amazing because obviously so Christopher Plummer as well, which I'm sure we'll get to at one point, who is the a captain. I think they just say naval captain, and he lives here with his family. And you kind of expect that he is this. Well, he's probably he's got this very English accent, but he's obviously Austrian um, high society almost. He's kind of moved yeah. away from that. That's the. I guess the warring and he's kind of wanting a more quiet life, but they, they, they're desperate for him back because he's obviously a very, very good man and a good leader of men, but yeah, they, they need him. They, yeah, a baron, sorry. They, they need yeah. him. They need him back. And it kind of all comes to, comes to heads at the end when, you know, the last sequence of the film and it kind of really paints that picture of, Oh God, like the Nazis were kind of ruthless in there in their yeah. propaganda and getting people back in because they needed this, you know, this fight was about to take place. Yeah. Well, I think what's really powerful about it is that, as you said, the, the, you, you hear about like the rumblings of Nazi Germany and the Angelus like throughout the movie, but, but it's only little bits and pieces. The, the core of the story is about Maria and the children and about, in many ways, softening Captain Von Trapp because he's quite a stern character when you first yes. meet him. Yes. And then you don't get the full Anschluss, the full Nazi stuff until the final act of the movie. And then it just goes all, all Nazi. Like there's swastikas, the guards, the, the worst. The, the scene where they're trying to escape and they're hiding it in the convent is so tense. Yes, like, I, you know, I really you know, enjoyed that. You know the bit where they where they were hiding behind the tombstones and they had the flashlights and they were just really yes. slowly. Looking. It takes a painful amount of time. Yes, to 
to go through that scene and you, you just feel really tense watching it. Mm. And I really like that. But we should talk about some of the songs, shouldn't we? Yes, please. Absolutely. So obviously we start with the with the prelude and we hear a lot of the songs that we're going to be singing. There is actually a new song that Rodgers and Hammerstein wrote for the movie that wasn't in their original stage show because this was a stage show first. And that was I Have Confidence. Okay. You know, the song that Maria sings when she's on her way to the Von Trapp's house. Yes, yes, I do, yes. She's basically psyching herself up to look after seven children. Yeah. Which, actually, if somebody was to tell you to do that, you'd be like, oh, bloody hell. Exactly, exactly. Before before we go, there's another song just before that, which is the How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria? And my memory of How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria is that that was the name given to the, the TV show where Andrew Lloyd, Lloyd Webber was put in charge. It was like a game show almost, or a sort of yeah. a celebrity. Do you remember this? And, yeah. And, and it was, they were casting Maria in, I guess, the new Broadway production of The Sound of Music. And West End. Was it the West End? Sorry. Yeah. And, and they wanted to obviously cast the right person, and they realized that there's a really great opportunity to make a sort of TV show about this. And I think they did the similar one for Joseph and the Technical. Yeah, Rainbow. they did Joseph. They also did... Jesus Christ... No, I don't think they did want to find <laughs> Jesus Christ. But I think that they would did, have been really good. No, they did Nancy from Oliver. Oh yes, you're right. They did. Yes, yes. Yeah. But uh, I, I can't. I was watching the film, obviously, and then listening to How Do You Solve a Problem Like Marie, and just thinking of Andrew Lloyd Webber just sat in that horrendous chair. Like oh, that I, was such a that was such uh, a tacky show. Oh, it was such a tacky show. But Graham I Graham Norton presented it. Graham Norton presented it, and he knew exactly what a farce it was. He took the he took the mick out of it the whole way through. <laughs> Brilliant. I, I genuinely liked watching it when it was on. I didn't go out of my way to sit down and watch it, but yeah, for if it was on, yeah, for some reason I think I watched it. <laughs> yeah, but if it, but if it was on on a Saturday night, then then yeah, yeah absolutely, exactly, exactly. absolutely, I'd watch it. But yeah, that that's a really funny song. That one because I like. I like that the nuns are like proing and conning Maria. Yes, yes. And there's one of them that's literally taking no shit whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. She's like, I don't like her. I don't like I her. Gone. <laughs> and it's really, it's really funny. So yeah, we've got that Maria song, which really paints a picture of the character before we even meet her. Then we have I Have Confidence, which you know Maria sings on herself, uh, by herself to prepare herself for the Von Trapps. Now we have 16 going on 17, which is a very interesting one. The du- the duet between Liesl and Rolf, the uh, Nazi youth yes. guy. I liked, yeah, Rolf, I, liked, I liked Rolf because there was that conflict of, he. you could tell that, I think he was a really good sign of the times, that he yeah. was wanting responsibility. And obviously at the end sequence that, you know where it is eventually him that you know that shouts and gives them up um, yeah. but but obviously you, the 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 precursor to that is this you know this romance between the two yeah yeah it's a bit of a problematic song if you sit and listen listen to the it's sit and i didn't like the lyrics, this song i'll be honest it, i didn't it, like it incredibly sexist and derogatory and yeah it's just not it's not that great yeah. is it i i, I 
outside of those reasons, even just from the from what I was watching, I didn't like this song. I didn't like this. I'll be honest, this is when I started to go, oh, this movie's a long movie. It's going to be a lot of these sort of dated... <laughs> it is a long movie. But no, no, no. What? There's a great line in it. Well, I say great line, but a great... And uh, this is an example of how terrible it is. It's like, you need someone older and wiser telling you what to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- this, I, I really, I have no time for this. I think we should just move on from this song because I have yeah. nothing nice I to say about this one. In a, in a, in a odd sort of way, I, I think it's, a, it's deliberately like that. I don't think it's just that it's dated because I think when, when Maria and Liesl sing it as a duet much later in the film, the the lyrics stay the same, but uh, but it implies a different meaning. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. That it's a, a new stepmother taking care of her adolescent teenage stepdaughter. Yeah. And I think that juxtaposition of the two meanings, the two settings of the duet, is actually, is actually quite clever. Yes. Even if... Even if initially the first hearing of the song, you're sat there going, "Ooh, I don't know Ooh, about this. Yeah, exactly. What, yeah. What's going on here? But we get to one of the most famous songs of the, mo- of the movie, which is my favorite things. Now, I, I'll be honest. I, up until this point, I was, I was almost lukewarm in this movie. I was not really sure. Then you had 16, 17, and I was kind of like, oh, I, don't, I don't know if this is my movie. Obviously, I didn't grow up with this movie, and I've got closing remarks on yeah. that. But then yeah. favorite things came. And that whole sequence in Marie's bedroom with the thunder and the lightning and the kids coming in, and um, I, I forget the, the eldest daughter's name, when she comes up through the window and she's soaking wet and she, she kind of she doesn't, you know, she is just like, a, I guess, an older sister or at this point. And she goes, don't worry, just get in there and get yourself sorted and stuff. And the kids, I thought that was really, I thought it was really, really great. And that, you know, that, that sequence, that would be, that whole sequence is timeless. The whole thing is timeless. Yeah. Yeah, no, it really is. It's such a, it's such a famous song. And, and listening to how all the things that she lists, because I think it's difficult to write lyrics to a song where literally all you're doing is like listing things, but it's done in such a descriptive way that like you can't help but be captured by it and to be swept up in the emotions that the song is telling you to portray. Yeah. I feel anyway, you know, Raindrop, raindrops on roses, whiskers on kittens. My my favorite, my favorite lyric is brown paper packages tied up with string. Yeah, it's not lovely, but, but it's it's almost just like I can't understand why you love it so much. And I was trying to think this. It's like it's the idea that someone's you know a send a package or a parcel. But I've had brown paper package tied up with string. You know, I think it was yeah. from my grandparents that sent it to me, or I've had things posted to me. In, I think using string, you know, I can, I can see, you know what I mean? You can see it. And I've had one of those and I go, yeah, that was a really unique, just specific little thing, but it was really great. And it's, 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 I I like that. I think that's my favorite lyric in that one. Yeah. I think it's definitely a precursor. It's really, it's really tapping in to our innate human desire to watch unboxing videos on YouTube. Exa- exactly, yeah, I was going to say, it's the unboxing, it's the unboxing of it. <laughs> yes, or, today or, we're 
unboxing the 2020 MacBook Pro. <laughs> and uh, Amazon, quite rightly, uh, as I've, uh, I can tell you if you want any more information on this, are quite oh, right God. into doing their Three brown paper packages tied up with string. Three weeks in a row. No, I tell Jeez. you what, actually, something even worse has happened with it. And it's right. not to do with me. Oh, I'll tell you in a second. We'll tell you right, Okay, fair enough, fair enough. I'll tell you now what happened was basically <laughs> basically <laughs> Maddie ordered two books. We went out for a walk, but as we were walking, leaving the house, the Amazon delivery man came by and we went, Oh, hello, hello. We didn't wait took two meters. And then he's got a mask and I say we sort of, Maddie went up and says, Have you got anything for our address? And he said, Yes, yes, yes rifled through all of his massive bags and then eventually brought out this this package that was two books wrapped in wrapped in cardboard soaking wet one of the books one of the books was fine the other book was a bit like it was damaged and because the packaging just fell off and the amazon delivery man didn't know what to do and obviously he doesn't know my back background with amazon i was absolutely livid but one of the books was fine. And I was going, right, well, why don't we just take that book and you can take that one back and we'll get a refund for it. We don't have to repost them. No, because they came in the same package. I said, right, well, it's fine, but they're not in the same package anymore because the package has disintegrated. You have delivered one of the books to us. You take the other book. It's very simple. No, I can't do that. I can't do that because they came in the same pack. He literally said they came in the same package three times. I went, but one of them's fine and it's got to us. The other one's done. How is this? And I had to walk. Maddie was like, you need to walk away. I was honestly, I didn't know what to do. The you're really, tires. Do, you're really doing that situation. No, just, but the point that is, was a classic you, example of someone who just went, no, no. There's no way around that. They can't foresee a, 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 a viable solution. I hate, anyway, that's another thing. I'm going to get off. Yeah. <laughs> I think to be fair to the guy, Callum, it's very easy to say, why don't you do this when you don't truly understand the logistics of his job? The logistics of putting one boot back in a bag. It, oh, it, 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 it's not. It's, I've, I know people, I've got this theory and this is not for the podcast, but the, the, whole, the whole point of people having processes and, and things back in Maria's day, right? Tell me that that wouldn't happen. Tell me that the guy delivering that, Maria, having this challenge, one of her books that she's ordered is damaged. Do you think the postman would go, sorry, I can't do that. I can't do that, mate. No, it's, it's the, the world we live in and the big conglomerates like Amazon, they want you just to give up. They don't want you to fight. They just want you to roll over in these things. I hate it. Are you, a, hate it. Are you an anarchist, Carl? I hate it. Fuck the system. <laughs> it just really annoys me. Do you know what I mean? Just when, the, when no, one can, no one's willing to be humans in these things and just go, there's a really simple solution to this. Anyway. Maria wouldn't right. stood. Maria wouldn't have stood for it, and that's what I was thinking the whole time. No, she would have. What she would have done was she would have gotten out her guitar and taught the postman to sing, or maybe she would have taught you to sing since you were the angry one. Or she would have clabbered the postman over across the head with the guitar. That's what I would Absolutely, and she would have taught you to sing using the song "Do Re Mi." I really, really like this song as well. I really like this song. I love this song, and there's a few, and there's a few reasons why. Now, number one, because I'm a music nerd, and more than anything else, this is an instructional song. It's this is teach like a scale. A it's singing a scale, isn't it? Singing a scale. It's using a system that's existed 
in classical music for generations called solfege. Have you ever have you heard of solfege? No, I haven't. No. Okay, so solfege is basically the idea of putting syllables to each degree of a scale. So do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, and do. So do and do being at sure. both ends of the scale because it's the same note. You're a musician, you know that. And what I love about this song is every single time that the song mentions any one of those syllables, it sings that, that corresponding note, note at yeah. that note. And there are no exceptions because I think before I listened to it carefully, like the first the first hundred times I saw this movie as a child, I think I, I got that for like the beginning. I thought, okay, the, the, the first act of the song, if you will, is her teaching the children how to sing. But then after that, it's just a song. Yeah. And with, with some with some nice with some nice words. But it's actually so much so much more than that. Sculpting and trying to write that song, you would you would set that as a challenge. You would set Ray as a note. Yeah. But then when you're writing that physically doing the manuscript, you every time you uh, get to that note, you you either design the song to to uh, to use the word Ray, or if you have manipulated the lyrics around the music, you just put the word Ray in anytime you make that note. So I think, yeah. forgive me wrong as a layman, I think it's actually probably easier to do, but when it's done, like it has been done, it yeah. looks so incredible. And, it, and, and, and as you say, for the fact that it's continuous throughout the whole song, I think yeah. a, a quick check over the notes wouldn't have been difficult to do for that. Okay. Yeah. But because it's done throughout as a complete yeah. package, being able to say whenever do is said, it's said at the same note as it is throughout the song, Rafa, and, and so on, then it's a really impressive yeah. feat that you have. Does that make sense? Yes, no, absolutely. And I love that it, it basically it's saying easy. it's easy. That's <laughs> no, not easy. <laughs> it's definitely not. It's definitely not easy. I, I think there's, there's yet to be an educational song of that system that like surpasses this. And there doesn't really need to be, does there? Because this kind of just does everything, doesn't it? Well, my teacher did something similar when I learned the alphabet, where A was done to the note of A, B was done to the note of B, C was done. It was really, really great. We got right through the alphabet. It's interesting because in Britain, we don't use solfege so much. Like when you, when I, when I studied in America and I met a lot of Asian students and they, they go really hard on, on solfege to the to the extent that when they're singing melodies and parts from other pieces of music like Mozart or Brahms or something like that, they'll actually sit there and go do re fi ti do re like all of that and sing it like that. Whereas I'll just go I'll just make random noises. Okay. Like I'll be able to I'll be able to sing it and I understand interval intervals and all of that, but. I don't have that rigid method and we don't really get taught that in this country. Um, I think in Europe, they're, they're much better at it. Definitely in Asia, there's, there's so much stricter about it where you really, really need to know solfege. And it, it's quite interesting, but 
I love the fact that in The Sound of Music, this song is treated as like a montage of like of the music of the children's education. Yes. Musical musical education. They must have been and sick stiff of just singing that song constantly. Over it must have <laughs> it must have taken forever. But it's great because every every scene change, every time jump, every time the verse changes or the chorus changes, then the the musical theory gets more complicated and suddenly you've got things like four part fugues and Canons. Cannon. I was going to say cannons were definitely used, and you know, intricate, intricate parts to get the children from no musical experience to the Von Trapp family singers in the space of one song, and you totally buy it, which is really great. I especially love the little clip of them in a carriage, where she's like directing them, going. Do me 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 so so de, yes. Da, da, yes. Da, da. and you'll notice that I gave up on when I just demonstrated that I gave up on doing the solfege thing because I just don't know them well enough. Yeah, yeah. I don't know the names of those intervals well enough, and I think that's a source of real embarrassment for me. But I'm putting it on the internet till the end of time. So <laughs> there, there. There it reminded we. me, I was reminded of that scene. So I remember one year at Christmas, we all got Christmas crackers and in, in it was a different, uh, like a little glockenspiel notes and everyone had their own little note or I think it was a kazoo or something. Anyway, they were all, they were all for the, um, all the notes. I don't think they were all the notes in the stave, but they were certainly uh, an octave or maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit more than an octave. And yeah. all of our family had all these notes and the idea was that people were given a number and you given a track and someone was the composer and they would go number one, number two, number three, and then you would make a Christmas song. But what I remember was that I grew up playing the piano and you know, knew the piano and all the keys of the piano and stuff. And yeah. I remember, I remember it pissed, pissed my cousins off to no end. Or at least my auntie got pissed off to no end for it because I said something quite obnoxious, but it, it made sense to me, which was, I went, this is so difficult to do. If you sit here and you sit there and you sit there, I don't look at you as my family. I look at you as the eight notes of a piano. So I could quite easily make a tune because, do you know what I mean? I knew how to play those yeah. notes on the piano. And it yeah. pissed them off. Yeah, because then. <laughs> but, but yeah, but, but, and so when I watched the scene in the carriage, I was wondering to myself, I was trying to see if they were placed with the white keys and the black keys at the back. The, but they're, they're oh, I see, I see. You know what I mean, no. you see what I'm saying. That that would have been cool. That would have been cool. But yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. Shall, shall we get on to the next song, please? Yeah. One of my favorite moments in the whole. Wait, movie. actually, I had one more part on the door, Amy. Sorry. <laughs> you had to interrupt me as I was about to say something. Tell me, tell really... me what they all are. So it's Do is a deer. Ray yeah. is a group of golden sun. What's the next one? Me, which is you or I, a name, a name I call myself, self, and then what's the next one? Far a long, long way, long to, way run. to run. I think this is my favorite one. What's the next one? So, so, and an, an idle pulling thread. Yeah, that's it. And then, and then, what's the next one? La, a note to follow. So, that's it. That's my favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can't think of anything. Exactly. They must have. They must have went la. 
la la they were like five minutes guys we need this we need this song finished come on we we've got to get it onto this the show la la come on we're so close what is it i mean it follows so so close we're so just just say that it follows so done finish it yeah. submit done um, you could tell that that part of the song was done on the friday afternoon yeah absolutely but sorry it is nice though isn't it yeah, it is good like it. anyway and sorry then, to interrupt and then tea a drink a drink with jam and bread and that will bring us back to dough. Sorry, I just had to finish it. Yeah, yeah, I'm, completion. <laughs> I'm OCD like that. But as I was as I was saying, we get to one of my favorite emotional and dramatic points in the movie, and that's when the children are singing the sound of music in the drawing room to their Uncle Max, and Captain Von Trapp comes in and hears them, and you get this moment of character development like the mm. intense character development where the captain instantly softens up and you know later you'll say he'll say it's so nice to have music back in the house because he didn't really like music in the house because his ex-wife mm. dead wife because he's a widower loved music and so he couldn't have music in the house without thinking of her. So it was a real source of pain for him. Well, it's, and it's grief, isn't this, it? And it is grief. And, and you do kind of understand it, but hearing his children sing the sound of music in the drawing room, and such a, it's a really beautiful arrangement of the song in this instance. It instantly softens him up and changes his mind. And so you kind of get the sense that that's what, the whole musical is actually about is about Captain Von Trapp. You know, it, in the same way that Mary Poppins is. I was going to say this: saving Mister Banks. Mr. Banks. We yeah. both had that thought there. It's saving saving Captain Von Trapp is what they should have called this. Yeah, they they really should they really should have yeah. And it is the only it is the only time in this movie that the song is actually sung outside of you know, the title sequence, because obviously the title sequence is not, you know, part of the story. Like, I think it's sung at one say- more point. I think it's sung at the show at the end. Can't remember. I think it is sung at one more point. I can't remember. It might, it might be. But I think the point is to have the title song, which obviously you're like, okay, so this is the title song. So this is, this is the, the, the core of the movie. And then you think, well, this is what this scene is about. And then you think, oh, okay. So it's not, it's not actually about Maria. It's about Captain Von Trapp, and I really, really love that. I don't know if you got that sense when... Yes, I did, yes. Yes, I like that turning point. Okay, can we talk about the puppet show very quickly? I, I, accident, I, I accidentally skipped it. This is a long movie. I forget, <laughs> it is a I forget long the, movie. I forget the order of the scenes. <laughs> so the puppet show was the high on the hill was a lonely goat, and then the yodeling all the way through. Now, don't get me wrong. I really, I really like this song and i really like this sequence i actually would wa- i would watch this bit again because it was really just but just it, honest. Is, it must have taken so long to prepare and what absolute nonsense the song is it's just not what is going on and and obviously you've got those yeah. adults because i know what it's like when i was a kid during like christmas and holidays and stuff you know, you would, you and all the kids would go away and you'd prepare a song or something. You'd go and sing it to the adults. Like when I was younger, that's what I did. Yeah. And this yeah. was the equivalent of, of that. I still, I still do that. You still do that. You still do that. Whether they what do you think I do? <laughs> but it's just so funny because I was watching it and it's actually really good with all the, 
they kind of, they, what the goat said to the song was the yodel ladle and they, they yodel throughout, which I remember, I remember doing, uh, I think it was like a ski trip in S2, we went away and one of the teachers could yodel and we were skiing through Italy and he was yodeling as loud as he can. And I just, and I remember trying to do it and just not doing it, but yodeling is so funny. It's so, it is funny. it's such a comical sound music, but this, I, I, I thought this was a really great scene, but it was absolute nonsense. It, was just yeah, it nonsense. is, but I think it's important. I think it's important that it's nonsense because you've got to remember again, for the vast majority of the movie before this point, Captain Von Trapp runs uh, a very tight ship, no yes. pun intended. In, in his house and you know that kind of nonsense doesn't really there's no place for that in, no. in Von Trapp's home and then Maria comes in comes in and all of a sudden his children are singing about high on the hills lonely goats go lay 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 hoo hoo with with puppets and you just think oh wow okay so there's a real departure here a very different very different family life here and <laughs> amazingly even before Climb Every Mountain, I can't believe I skipped all the way to there because there's so many bits in, in between uh, then and now. We've got So Long Farewell, which takes place at the party. Do you remember party. the ball scene? Yes. Yeah. And it's the, I think it's the, it's the only instance in this film that I'd like to talk about the instrumental music in, in the movie because, again, the original score was also composed uh, by the amazing writing team of Rogers and Hammerstein. Mm -hmm. And the music is Walt's, you know, German ballroom music. Yeah. yeah. But they are all arrangements of songs from the film. Okay. Okay. Quite yes, subtle. Because I, because I hear the do, 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 do. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That happens. And there's a bunch of other, a bunch of other songs that are basically turned into Walt's and Lendlers and other dance forms. And I just think that's really, really nice. Mm. Yes. It's a really nice, and again, it took me countless viewings before I noticed that. So before we talked uh, a little bit, I think we missed my favorite song in this film. Oh, did we? Can you tell me what, what you think my favorite song is? Because there is one song that, hands down, I think is the I personally think is the best song. Oh. It well, sang we... twice. It sang once just before the ballroom, and it sang also at the end in the show. Oh, Edelweiss. Edelweiss is oh, just. Oh, lovely! It is such a beautiful song, and obviously it's accompanied with the guitar, and. Yeah. Christopher Plummer is out. I, I, I recently watched him again, actually, in All the Money in the World, which is the new film with Mark Wahlberg uh, that came out. He good. is fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's, he's fantastic. And in fact, there's a lot of similarities as, as, as um, Getty Sr. compared to uh, Baron Von Trapp. There's actually quite a lot yeah. of similarities. Obviously, there was a different reason why he was brought in to do that film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, exactly, exactly. But I, I, I think Edelweiss and... Captain Von Trapp singing that. I I loved that. I just I really like that 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 was don't get me wrong, I didn't grow up with this movie. I've not got such a such a fond love for it, but I love that song and I love that sequence when he, he's on his own playing it and then his eldest daughter comes and sings with him. I, I thought it was absolutely beautiful. But that's my that's it my is, favorite it is song. Beautiful. 
It is beautiful. And when he brings it back and it, he's singing about his love for his country, but a country without Nazi Germany. Exactly. Exactly. It's really, really beautiful. I love it so much. It's really, really beautiful. At the point <laughs> where Maria is sent away, uh, the, the, she's sent back to the, the nuns and the kids are really upset and they're, they've, they've, they, miss, uh, they miss Maria. And there's a there's a there's an amazing see, there's an amazing piece of dialogue from Uncle Max where he, he goes to the kids. I laughed out loud with this. I had to pause it. He goes, "What's wrong, kids? You all look like gloomy pussies." <laughs> just, I just folded because you just don't. That's an odd. That's an odd turn of phrase, isn't it? You don't hear that one. You don't, you don't hear that one very often. Do you? Start using that from now on. You look like a gloomy. Pussy. Um. Another point I wanted to talk about was the wedding sequence and how oh, yeah. huge, I mean, that is a royal wedding by any Isn't stretch it? of the imagination. And what I also loved was when she's walking down the aisle, everyone is singing, how do you solve a problem like Maria on your wedding day? Could you imagine if that's what they were singing about? It was just, Jesus, how do you get rid of yeah. her? How do we solve a problem like her? Just... But it's really epic as well. It's on this like big organ. It's like, it's like really I just don't cute. know why they chose that song. They could have done, you know, they could have done The Sound of Music. There could have been a, a, a slowed reprise of The Sound of Music or there could have been um, something, something, I mean, so long, farewell. <laughs> She's getting rid of her. Or maybe Edelweiss. But I just thought, no, we'll do How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria on her wedding day. I just solve a problem like Maria. But in like this really stately grandiose way and the last point that i the last point i had was the how the film actually does end and basically it ends with the von trapp family and the seven children becoming sort of rabid forest mountain children at the end doesn't it is it yeah that's how it ends you see them sort of in the wilderness hunting for their foods because they're outcasts, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Or, and here's my theory, they escaped to America. Oh, really? Yeah, which is what actually happened. <laughs> um, I'm going to say you're wrong, but it is, it, it is mountain forest rabid children. They, Rab- eat, they yeah. eat the youngest. For nutrition. <laughs> Well, little Greta. Oh, little no. Greta's done. Little Greta's done. You don't you oh, miss that no. in the sequel. Oh, oh my God. Well, I'm 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 slightly ashamed to say it's been a bit of a um a, a, a cut a cut and paste kind of choppy. <laughs> yeah, rendition of the movie and look look through the movie Re- report of the movie. But we got got a lot of the a lot of the talking points there. I think I, we did I think put so. across. It. You know, it's it's an important music movie definitely i look i think this is up there with one of the most important music movies if i could if i could give my summarizing statement to the court if well you i think i'm i want to give you i want to give you a bit of time to do that so i'm just gonna you know just say that it's two thumbs up from me mm. and as i said it's one of my favorites mm. and i don't and i don't have any caveats to that at all so i'll let i'll let you go away with your thoughts because I am genuinely I'm genuinely interested as a first time watcher yeah. what, what your takeaway is yeah so with this movie so you've you've 
I, I, I say we, we, we hit the point home always that when you're a kid, you, you're exposed to a finite amount of movies and you grow up with. And for me, it was things like obviously James Bond. But then when we talk about Disney, people were exposed to certain Disney movies and people were exposed to certain yada yada other movies. Yeah, there's a there's a niche area of musical movie films. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang was just always on in my home. Yeah. Mary Poppins wasn't. The Sound of Music wasn't. And usually when I look back on these movies and we talk through them and I think to myself, ah, the reason that I had never seen this. So I didn't see this as a kid. Therefore, I've not seen it as an adult. Okay, this isn't the sort of movie that you revisit unless you have a podcast specifically designed for music and movies. So I was watching it and I was thinking to myself, if I didn't have this podcast, I probably would never have watched this movie. However, I knew all the songs in this movie and I knew all the sequences, but that is not an excuse to watch the movie. So did I miss out watching this when I was younger? I don't think so. I watch this back and I go, I never watched this when I was younger. And I don't think that I'm, I don't think that I missed out on a huge amount. I just, I just don't, I, I personally, uh, this was not a movie that I would have went, I'm, I'm so happy that I watched this or I didn't watch this. It's a staple. It's, it's, a, it's a chapter in a, it's a music defining and movie defining chapter in, in, in Hollywood, but it's one that I'm okay with not watching and I probably won't watch again. Yeah. But our thumbs up system is strict and it's rigorous. This yeah. is personally. And on top of both those things, it's also critically flawless. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it, it is two thumbs up. Okay. My vote yeah. is two thumbs up, but there is caveats to that. Unlike you. And the caveats are that I'm giving the two thumbs up because of, of the spectacle and the marvel. But personally, for me, if I was on my own and given my own these systems and I didn't have a podcast, I, I wouldn't have given this any thumbs up or maybe give it one. I just, it, it, it's, it just didn't grab me in the same way that some of the other movies that I've brought to this podcast have done. You know, like take, yeah. for example, Drive. We did that in our second episode. Now, that is yeah. nowhere near the critical claim. It doesn't have the full-on orchestras. It doesn't have the, the amazing songs with the, with the very clever notes for different words throughout and the returns, the reprises, the intermissions, the overture. But the music used in that movie and the movie is far more compelling and far more interesting look at how music can be used for a movie than this. And yeah. that's why. So it's going to be two thumbs up. Okay. Yeah. But only because yeah. I don't want your mum to hurt me. <laughs> yeah, no, and she will. <laughs> she will. She will. She's actually heard this before we've released it and is currently breaking <laughs> social distancing guidelines to come and up you down. <laughs> Amazing. No, but you did make, make a really good point that in different movies, music can have a different function. And the function of music in the sound of music is not the same as as in drive it's not it's not complementary it's the whole film it's feature yeah it's feature yeah it's the feature but yeah i think uh, so maybe maybe another film to compare it to something like the producers albert's producers that's maybe it's more yeah. of a music more of a musical but 
the way that the music in that is used is so clever to that. Anyway, it, it, it's, it's, yeah. I guess maybe Drive wasn't a fair comparison, but I think it was stark enough to kind of realize that as, as a grandiose statement, music in movies. But anyway. Yeah. That's amazing. That's two, two musicals that are about Nazis. That is too easy. That is, yeah, that's a great point. That's interesting. <laughs> I did miss Springtime for Hitler in Sound of Music. I thought it would be sort of near the end, but it wasn't. If you had to, get, if you had to, if you had to give that to any character, who would you give it to? What, Springtime for Hitler? Yeah, if you had to give that song to a Sound of Music character. It's got to be Ruby Gretel. It? It's got to be Ruby Gretel. She's got to be singing it away in the mountains with the rabbits. I can see that, but I think I've got, I think, I think I've got a better one, or a couple <laughs> of better ones. Right. <laughs> Number one. Uncle Max. I knew you were going to say Uncle Max. I knew you were going to say. I was about to say, is it Gloomy Puss? Uncle Uncle Max, and I want him to be singing it on the veranda with a glass of pink lemonade. Oh, God, the pink lemonade with the Baroness near him. Yeah, I want him to sing it there. Or Reverend Mother. Oh, God. (laughs) A waltzing sequence. Absolutely. I think the Reverend Mother would, would would do a real job on that one. I have brought something very, very different to the podcast this week. The only reason that I brought this to the podcast is because I could. Literally, that's the only reason I brought this to the podcast. Now, you said something that has stayed with me after we watched this movie. And you are 100% right. What did you call this film? It's a passion project. Absolutely. What is this podcast? It's a passion project. <laughs> that is the reason I brought this film. This film is 2019's Balance Not Symmetry. Now, that is a film that the users, uh, sorry, the, users, the listeners will not know. And I don't expect you guys to know about it because this report is not as much about the movie, but it is about the music, specifically the music yeah. in this. Because this is a film basically it was it was a 2019 drama written and directed by Jamie Adams and the film stars Laura Laura Harrier from Spider-Man Homecoming fame uh, and Kate Dickey from uh, Game of Thrones she's from Filth amazing Scottish a- a- actress uh, and the film is about Caitlin so who is played by Lauren Harrier and who is an art student in Glasgow School of Art who is struggling with the recent death of her father I would like to amend your opening statement go for it because this is what did you say was this 2018 2019 drama 2019 drama it's not a 2019 drama Callum it's a 2019 music video yeah yeah you're not wrong you're you're not wrong it's an hour and a half long Biffy Clyro music video it's an hour and a half long Biffy Clyro album video oh very good do you see what I'm saying this yeah. is so unique because this is the first time. So, so this is the first time. It's, it's, 
I don't know any movie like this because it, it and don't get me right, this movie was panned critically, okay? Oh, Do you know how much it made? It made it made seventeen thousand dollars over its grandeur. Seventeen thousand in the opening week of fifteen thousand. So and it was Simon Neal, who's the front man of Biffy Clyro, who 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 did this. But I want to talk about this movie because I want to talk about what we watch and what we listen to and the implications of it. So let's, let's, yeah. let's go back to what we said there, right? This is an album video, okay? Yeah. Because when you talk about music videos, so let, let, let's take, for example, a Biffy Clyro song. So Biffy Clyro, for those who are not familiar, they are a Scottish rock band based from Ayrshire, uh, just outside yeah. of Glasgow, and they are my favorite band of all time. They are quite simply wonderful. They're very, very, very great musicians, um, and they do a, a wide range of indie rock um, and alternative music. Yeah, I kind of thought they were your religion. They were, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I don't have any. I don't have any. Uh, I don't have any tattoos. But if I did, if I did have a tattoo, it would uh, it would be some sort of Biffy. I guess some sort of Biffy uh, lyric or something like would, that. Would you get some... Would you get a life size tattoo of Simon Neil's face on your face? <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> just that face he's a good looking lad so what this is this is basically in, in, in as far as i'm concerned the first time where you've got what oh, sorry what happens when you have a a song is released is the artist they'll they'll, they'll put a video to it and then it'll go to to wherever mtv or go on youtube and you have a video that accompanies the song so what but what is a music video when you when you think about it it's weird when you really think about a music video because music is obviously when you listen to music right Let, let's say for these biffy clyro songs when you first listen to it which i always do as soon as a song's dropped there's no video accompanying it it's just the song the single and you listen you absorb it and you create your own picture in your head but then when you yeah. put a music video to it the artist who made the music is also saying this is visually how I was representing or how I think the song should be um, combined with. And so you have a completely different experience altogether. Much like you, yeah. when you listen to a scoring for a film and then you watch the film itself, the, the, the scoring could be beautiful and tense, but you could be watching a really dark scene on a film. And so it maybe completely changes yeah. what you're watching. So what is music videos? I mean, what, what, they are weird when you think about it, when you really think, you know, when you think long and hard about a name and you go, what does that name mean? What does is, what is Stephen mean? When you think about it for days, you go, what is, what is a Stephen? But, but it's the same thing with this. And what's really interesting is that Balance Not Symmetry did the same thing as uh, like, like, a, like a normal song being released. The album came out in May. And the film wasn't debuted until the Edinburgh Film Festival in June. Yeah. So, and, and, and I listened to this long, long before, I think it was May, and then listening through, I remember telling you that a new album has been dropped. And on the front cover of the album, it has Lauren Harrier, and it says, from the motion picture, Balance Not Symmetry. Because, as you say, you're right, it's a passion project by Simon Neal and Jamie Adams because they wanted to basically put these songs to this movie. Yeah. And it's fascinating because I listen to this album. Now, I listen to this album so much. I've been listening to it an awful lot during lockdown. It's a really great album to take with you on the walks. Or if you go and run, some of the faster beat songs are really, really great to run to. Um, and I'll, I'll talk a few about them when we get to them. But 
when you compared it with this, I was almost hesitant to watch this movie because I didn't want to watch it because I love these songs so much. And I've got my own interpretation of what's happening in the yeah. songs and what's going on. And then yeah. what we saw was something totally different. I yeah. agree what with what we saw. Well, what, what, what you saw was totally different. What we saw was totally different. But I think in a very large way, I agree with a lot of the things that this movie has been criticized for. Yes. As a movie. And one thing I definitely agree with almost universally all the reviews is the music is outstanding and it saves it. So I don't think, I don't think that any of the songs could be ruined at all. I think they're that good and they're that important. Yeah. That, you, I, that, that they could put anything on screen and I don't think it would ruin Biffy's songs at all. Now, if you take the album Balance Not Symmetry, so, so this is a huge plug for this album. I, for any of you out there, any of our, of our fans who are music movie, movie fans, I would say don't watch this movie, listen to this album. But if you do like this album, listen to this episode, then watch the movie. Because yeah. I think that that would be a really complete experience if you're interested in music movies. But I think this is such an important music movie because I can't think of another example where an album is given a video. Specifically, they wrote a movie around an album. The only time that happens is on Broadway musicals. Yeah. Bat Out of Hell. Uh, yeah. We Will Rock You. That's the only time that that happens where they make a story about iconic music. But this isn't iconic music. It's, as you say, it's, it's, it's his own music and it's a passion project. I, I, I yeah. just, it fascinated me to no end. Yeah. It is. And it's a shame because the concept is very, very interesting. And I just don't think that they executed it. It was well. poor. Yeah, it was executed poor. I, I, it, I can't. It, I can't. Poor because the con the concept is great, but they they I think they needed to go all in on the dramatized music video aspect. Of oh it yeah. Because generally, I, I, this is going to be a bit of a a, a kind of critic-y, headline-y kind of state, statement. And I promise I've not read this anyway. This is just the impressions that I got when I was watching it. Is It felt like silent scenes of music video drama, right? Because whenever Simon Neal was singing, nobody was talking over him, right? Yeah, that's right. Nobody was talking over him. It was just like Biffy Clyro's songs, right? Uh, accompanying silent scenes where there's no dialogue, there's just visual. And that's music video. Okay. Mm. Almost everything in between that was somebody explaining some shit about art that I don't care about. So the art, the art piece is interesting as well because art is a big part of, of Simon Neal's life and a big part of a lot of people's life. And the Glasgow School of Art is a very, very, it's a very historical and old building, and sadly caught fire a couple of times um, over the last yeah. over the last few as years. The, like genuinely burnt to a crisp yeah. more than one in the yeah. space of. A it's like how does that happen but but the glasgow school of art and obviously we see kelvin grove museum and we see a lot of very iconic pieces of, of glasgow landscape as well in this movie plus a lot of the filming locations are done i think near ayrshire and you've got the coast and i, I personally i thought it was Aber i thought it was east lothian actually at some points i didn't know where about it was it was being filmed but i'll I tell you what we'll go through the movie we'll, we'll go back to the art piece because i sure. think the art piece sure. is interesting so obviously it starts with the funeral now, the fade in with the helicopter shot or the drone shot over the, the funeral starts with a different song 
by Biffy Clyro, not on the album. You picked this up, didn't you? You're shaking your head. I did. I what did. song is it? Baby, when you hold me. That's it. Yeah, different people from from yeah. opposites. Yeah, it's I thought the, so. I it's the like... fade in, and I remember watching this, and it started in the fade in, and I went, "Oh my goodness!" Because it that song is probably my most favorite song by them. I think it's it's the, one of the best they've done. But the fade in is so iconic for that piece of music, and they use it to start a lot of their shows because it's a great opening song to a show that they do. Oh, it's huge, isn't it? It's like it's, that. It's like huge organ isn't it's a, it's it's a big like... organ firing up and typically what happens is simon neil comes out in front of a, of a red stage and he's on his own and he sings that first bit with him and the guitar and then just when the drop happens the curtain physically drops and the band are behind him and it's it's a it's an incredible i mean goosebumps to no end when i've seen this live i mean to no yeah. end and i was thinking can, they've got can you this. take me to go see biffy claro please Wait, honestly i get in line there's so many people that need to see this biffy claro with us one day do you know how much their tickets are going for as well it's ridiculous like they are on the up still the and they've got a new up oh yeah i mean it was well about is 120 that, quid jeez oh, 90 is the most i've ever paid i've ever paid for a rock concert and that was acdc and that was money well spent you can imagine <laughs> but instead of different people we have the song adored now, Adored is the last song on the album, but the first song in the film. And it is such a beautiful and delicate piece of music. I just, I, 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 the way that Simon Neil sings this, who's started their roots, Biffy Clyro, is quite um, an aggressive rock band. And in some songs, there was a lot of, I guess, screaming music and singing, but there's also some very delicate songs. He's done a lot of delicate music throughout, and he's, he's very much tailored his music to life events but adored is just if you listen to it it's so it's so um uh, intimate as a song yeah. uh, him and the piano and he and he's singing that it's when you listen to this as an album and when you watch it on screen he's singing he's singing directly to you and you've got the sequence of kate dickey and lauren harrier on the rocks now I don't care what you say. This isn't a great movie, but that starting sequence was magical. I thought that was so great. As uh, an extended music video, that would have been amazing. And Kate Dickey, and, and it's the way she talks to her was so, because obviously she's Scottish and growing up with, you know, Scottish women and Scottish mothers, and I've known a lot of people, and that's how they talk. The way that she spoke was so natural. And I just, yeah. it really got me. It really, and it was, unfortunately, it all went downhill from there. But I think that was yeah. the most beautiful thing ever. But there is a reason for that, for that natural delivery. And that's because the dialogue was improvised. Yes. It was improvised. And I didn't realize this, or I suspected it in the movie, but I didn't know for sure until I, I was watching the credits because, you know, I like to listen to the music and the credits. And I, yeah. I'm inclined to think that on this occasion, even you might have sat and listened to the whole Yeah, credit. well, it's, I know, that, yeah. But there was a bit of a credit that said script or dialogue or something by the cast yes. of Balance Not Symmetry. And I went, oh, oh this yes. explains a lot. It does it's, explain a lot. It's it's improvised, and I was like, ah, that's that's why I didn't care. That's why I didn't care about anything dramatic that was happening. And, I, and then I was trying to think why, 
and I, I basically come to the conclusion that they were they were really good at the improv and at being and at being real and you did believe that these were real characters and all that but you didn't care about what they were going through or what they were trying to say because they were behaving like real people who were all really guarded and not actually saying how they how, how they truly felt and unfortunately you can't get away with that in an hour and a half movie the reason why people craft scripts with clever dialogue is not to communicate emotions and thoughts between the characters is to convince us the the audience of what the characters are going through mm-hmm. and you have and you have to think about it how many times have you like gone to a pub right and you could be sitting with a with a mate and he could be going through some stuff and you'd never know it because he'd just be it'd be too it'd be too subtle yeah do you know what? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, no, I, I, I do, I do, I know exactly what you're saying, and it's it was without without scripted dialogue to guide us through the drama. We don't have enough time with the characters to get to know the nuances to make us really feel what they're feeling and why they're feeling it, which yeah. is why I feel it fails as a drama. It just kind of feels more like an an improv project, an unfinished. Yeah project more than anything else. no i think you're right i think you're right a couple of other songs we have we we use the song yellow so on the album this is the first biffy clower album where they're not all uh songs there's some instrumental pieces of music and it's because i think they obviously knew that they were going to be putting this music to this movie and so some of the instrumental scenes are, are really sweet with kate dickey who's obviously got her husband's basketball shirt and is laying it out you then get to balance not symmetry the actual album where you see uh, Lauren Harris, Harris' character walking into the Glasgow S- School of Art. And I think that this is the first of a few times where Biffy Clyro's music is so alternative and unique, is that having a, con- a normal sort of storyline or a relatively relatable storyline just doesn't really do it much justice. You know, it, it's just, it, it was, it's like a, it's a very ravey sort of song, Balance Not Symmetry, the title song of the, the album, and the film and the first track on the, the album. But she's yeah. just listening to it as she's walking in. And I'm just like, this doesn't really work that well. But there could have been so many other ways that that could have worked. You know, you could have had some rebellious rave sequence or you could have had some really full-on emotional outburst. But you didn't. You just had her walking into And I just felt it was a little bit, I was like, oh, come on, there's a better way to use that song. But then, uh, but then hang on, though, because we're, we're kind of skirting around the fact that what, think about the situations that you have listened to that particular song. Yeah, and where, and where you've and where you've done it. You know, yeah. they're framing this film as a, a real character story, right? Hmm. No, I, you know. I see the point you're making. Yeah, I don't know, but I, but and then, but then but you're right because then it draws the line between if you're putting that music to a scripted sequence, you'd expect what you're watching on screen to be scripted in a drama. But you're right, that is more relatable to, that's how I listen. Like, I, yeah, of course, I just listen to that song when I'm on the tube or when I'm out running or, do you know what I mean, when I'm moving around. Yeah, exactly. And of course, if you're really engaged with the song, then you're imagining something completely else, completely yeah, different. Okay. It's nothing to, uh, uh, 
that's nothing to do with what you're actually doing, right? But then what the film did was it showed you doing that. You know, she is walking into she is walking into the Glasgow School of Art, but she's listening to the song, and her head is probably somewhere on something completely different. And she's physically just, listening to it. But, but, but before like you and us as an audience are seeing her and not her vision of what the song means. But sometimes in this movie, that doesn't happen. Sometimes there's just a background piece of music that's being played and none of the characters are listening to it. It's just accompanying what you're seeing. And then other times it's yep. like this, where it's a character listening to the song. Okay, yeah, I, I see the point. But, but, but the next song you have is the, the song called The Naturals, which is one of the later tracks on the album that basically is the scene where they're dancing in the flat and then they go out to a party. But I just think it's really, when, when Lauren Harris' uh, friend, um, I forget the character's name, she's dancing. They've cl- she's dancing out of time to the music and it was really bugging me. I was like, they, she obviously was just told, dance and we'll put the music on in the background, but they didn't give her the kind of how you should move, how you should dance. And I get the impression that when they make movies and someone is dancing in a sequence, physically on screen to the music that the audience are playing, they'll play the music in the background. I don't know how it's done. I don't know what, what, what you think. That obviously didn't yeah. happen. So that, that way they can feel the tempo and they can dance to what you're seeing. Yeah. I don't know. I always, I always see that, that kind of dancing is pretty random anyway. Like, exactly. it's, it's not very me. So I can't say I, <laughs> I can't say I noticed. I was like, Oh, it looks as incoherent and as random as always. So, yeah, why not? <laughs> I, I just, but I, I just, I can't emphasize the point enough that the music in this album is incredible, but it's kind of under you. I mean, apart from Adored, which I thought Adored, and there's another one, different kind of love and touch are used very well. But you've got the next song, Gates of Heaven. Gates of Heaven is a really great song in this album. It starts low register singing from Simon Neal, and it's and it's the piano piece, and the, I think it's a really, really great, great piece of music. And it's kind of just underused. Like, it's just played on the radio in the background. And I'm kind of like, I, I, I don't know what's happening. I mean, I think it's because I'm coming into this. But I would imagine all the fans that watched that, the £17,000 that this film made or it's like, was from Biffy Clyro fans. Yeah. And I just, and who loved the album, like me. And watching that, I'm like, oh, I, just don't, I just don't understand why you would use that song there. And I just was like, come on, you, it's a great piece of music but it's faded in the background and it gets turned down almost instantly yeah but then you've got the other side of it where there's another song that's used very well which is different kind of love and different kind of love gets played a few different times it gets played um i guess like d- during the painting as she's painting away her pain which i didn't mind i thought it was very good and the art show so the song different kind of love is being used for her art and that along yeah. with adored is one of the other times where the music from this album is paired correctly with something you're seeing on the film because it's showing her grief and it's her expression of grief. Now you yeah. say that you're not a huge fan of art and I, and I incline to agree with you. I've never grown up with art, but what this film made me realize and it painted the very, excuse the pun, painted the very visual picture that <laughs> exactly that she is just, she's got the grief and she's just going grief onto something so that other people yeah. can go, oh, that's what it looks like in your head. That's how you're feeling. That's the closest yeah. thing I'll see you to your what? feeling. Yeah, but you know what? I got that. I understood that without the ridiculous art school jargon lecture, endless 
bits of dialogue. I, I understood that. I didn't need to be told about the use of white space and like all this other jargony, jargony shit. Like why, why did you feel the need to just explain uh, away? Yeah, like I a mean, big, yeah. big exposition dump. I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I guess. I think when Maddie and I go to a new city, one of the first things we will do is go to art. And I, I love to hate modern art. I love to hate it. I don't know any modern artists, but I love, I love to go and look at it and go, why is that? Why is that art? Why is that art? But that's, that's why, because it gets you talking. It gets, it gets you, it gets yeah. you, but I don't know anything about it. So I'm not against being told about some of the, some of the little psychological tropes that are used. Yeah, but when, but you can't get away with that when your movie's only an hour and a half long and half of it is spent without dialogue listening to Biffy Clyro songs. You can't, spend, is, yeah. you can't spend the other half in, in, as an art school lecture. You just, you just can't. That's not a movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, inclined, I'm inclined to agree with you. However, the art was the most important part of this movie in terms of what we were visually seeing they needed to give it some context because they needed to generalize it to the, the common denominator, the fan who doesn't know this, who doesn't, who just listens to music and has some way of relating what Simon Neal and Jamie Adams had envisioned when they were writing the songs to seeing on the screen. And I think you needed, if there was lecturing that was going to go on, if there was one thing that was going to be scripted, and the most important thing to the characters on the screen, to the people who wrote this and to the people who wrote the music was how this conveys art and how the music works with art. You needed to have some level of expert, just the basic understanding of this. And, that, and that's why, that's the sacrifice that they made with the timing. Right. I, I don't know, yeah. maybe, maybe, maybe you disagree. And I know, I know this is one that we'll go back and forward over, but, I, but that's, this is art, this is podcast is art. I want to disagree with you. I, I no, thought that was no, good. No, that's fine. I, I think I just, I understood the emotional significance and the character significance of art and what, the, what role the art played in the, in the plot and emotional narrative of the film. Mm. And at no point was that understanding boosted by being told what white space is. Well, yeah, but maybe not to you. <laughs> I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot who doesn't know anything about art. I don't. I don't know who. Who is that for? Who is that for? The only people I think. I think that's for, is for art school students. Well, yeah. What they know about, and they like hearing about things they know about, and they like seeing things that they <laughs> know about. In, you know, that's a great question. Media. That's a great question, actually. I'm going to ask you this now, and you don't have to answer now. But who was this movie for? If it wasn't, you know, from obviously it was a passion project from them, but who is it for? Who is it intended by, by Jamie Ams and, and Samuel to be for? Do you know what? Do you know what? You don't I, I did think about this. I, I did think about this. I think, it's, I think it's for students of the Glasgow Art School. Do you think it was specifically for them? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah, such no, a specific took, movie if, concept. If you, took, if you took this movie, right, and reframed it as, Oh, Biffy, Biffy Clyro has lent, lent their music and a bit of writing credit and creative input to uh, a school, uh, to um, 
a movie that's for the students of the school that's burnt that's burned down twice in a horrific fire and stuff like that the movie would not change and you'd totally believe that that's what the function of the movie was yeah that's a great point yeah that's totally that. yeah i agree yeah i do agree with that statement okay a couple of other songs we have tunnels and trees really like this song quite a happy upbeat sort of weird song it ends really unusual this is a this is a typical biffy clyro song with unusual um notes and unusual rhythms and the ending is downright bizarre and it, and it works well for the sort of the sex scenes and the club scenes that you have then you have yeah. color wheel color wheel is the argument piece which i, I think color wheel is a really really lovely song that gets used but there's a fantastic there is the and if you're a diehard biffy clyro fan you know that there's a great little Easter egg in the dialogue, probably one of the only scripted pieces of dialogue that probably came from this. One of the characters says to the other, I have the cruelest mouth. And the, the words, I have the cruelest mouth, is from another Biffy Clyro song from Ellipsis called People. So there is, it, it's a direct reference to that song in a different one of their albums, which I, I was just like, oh, I know that, I know that. Um, and you won't Great. find that. You won't find these facts anywhere online, kids. I've tried. They're nowhere. <laughs> I'm telling you, that is it. You have different kind of love when you're seeing the art show at the end, which, which I, I really enjoyed that sequence. I, I, I personally quite like, I love that song. That song was originally featured as well on a different album. It was featured on the live Roundhouse album where they did it live before it was put on Balance Not Symmetry. So if you listen to the Roundhouse yeah. album before this, you can hear the actual. It, it's a little bit. It's a little bit different. This sort of the the the, um, the structure of the song is ever so slightly tweaked for the album version as opposed to the live version. I think it's really really great. But you also one of the one of the hidden gems of this film and this album is the song "Touch." Touch is the end credit song that gets played. But "Touch" is such a fantastic song. It builds and builds and builds and builds in a normal Biffy Clyro way. The structure goes out the window. There's a weird guitar riff breakdown. It ends in an unusual way. It ends on a completely different note from the actual key. It has strings and an orchestra that plays throughout it in the swelling pieces. I think Touch is a wonderful song. And I think it's used really well as a summary of this film. Maybe this isn't the greatest film for it to use as a summary, but it's a great summarizing song. One other thing that I was just going to say before I wrap this up is that this album, the film, doesn't include all the songs from the album. There's a load of songs on this album that have been just completely missed out that are not in the film yeah, well, with every... So was, it, so was it my imagination or was one of my favorite songs, All Singing and All, all Dancing... All Singing, All Dancing was not in. Not. Yep. So that wasn't just me just not paying attention all singing all that so i made a list all singing all dancing wasn't in there plead wasn't in there which is a great song uh, the naturals was um jezebel and following master so the uh, sorry jasebib i don't know how that song is pronounced anyway they were not in they were not in the film but they are on the album Great songs, really, really great songs. And when I've listened to this album before I watched the movie, I knew it was a movie, and I was thinking, I wonder how they're going to use "Following Master." I wonder how they're, I wonder how they're going to use "All Singing, All Dancing." But they just, they just did it. But they're great yeah. songs, anyway. Yeah, they are. I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap this up here because I feel as like we've talked a lot about this <laughs> non-movie. This yeah. has not been a report on the movie. This is a report on a wonderful album from an incredible, yeah. incredible band with a lot yeah. of heart and real passion 
I, I firmly, I, I, please go and listen to them. And actually, as, a, as another plug, we talked a little about it a couple of weeks ago and moving forward during the whole lockdown. Simon Neal himself has been doing every week live shows from his living room, and they've been amazing. People have been writing in. He did a lovely version of Adored with his guitar a couple of weeks ago, and it, it, was, it was beautiful. Um, so that's my that's my dump of what I'm going to use. And, and I want to be able to do this because I can, because we've got a music movie podcast and I can go have this <laughs> anyway yeah but I'm gonna I'm gonna give my uh, rating for this okay I am going to rate this as a movie but you know we also rate the music as well and so you I have to rate the music as it functions in the movie as well and unfortunately I'm gonna give this movie a one thumb up. I don't even and, know if I will give it one thumb up because that's, that's interesting. And so I'm giving it a times. one thumb up because I love the because I love the movie, uh, the music. I love the music. Yeah. I love I love the album. But and because that's a positive, I have to give give it some sort of positive credit because I found some an enjoyable experience while watching the movie as a result of the soundtrack. However, the soundtrack does not belong to the movie. It exactly. belongs to Ben Lyle. Yeah. It, it's not... It, yeah, that, that, that's basically it. So, yeah, you, you can... So, yeah, it's one thumb up. But I, I think I will give it a thumb up. I, I mean, I said I probably wouldn't, trying to be controversial, but I, I, I probably will give it one because, as you said, the music giving it something to the movie the music holds this movie up and there's a few scenes where it used but as a function of the music in the movie there's a lot of times where it just doesn't work it doesn't work and the the song is wasted the song is wasted and i think in the times where where we don't like that mix it's usually the other way around it's usually the movie's so good why did they choose that song this yeah. is this is why this is unique. This is why this is a different kind, and this is why I wanted to bring it to the podcast because this is one of these yeah. times where the music really is great. far superior to the music. Sorry, what were you saying? I'm saying it's a really really good discussion piece. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to give it one thumb up. Love the music, and I love the I love the bravery and the passion. And this is the first time I've ever watched an album music video. Yeah. Excellent. It's interesting, isn't it? I just I wish it was better. <laughs> forward yeah go on anything i do i've got some interesting casting news and i've got some interesting news from new zealand it seems that new zealand are taking over the world of star wars now can you tell me a couple of people who are very influential to star wars who are from new zealand peter jackson I'm only joking, it's not Peter Jackson. Okay. Is, it, is, it, is it Taika Waititi? Taika Waititi, absolutely. There's another one. Yeah, it's the dude that plays Django Fett. Tamura Morrison, yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So where do you want to start? Do you want to start with Taika Waititi first? 
You know this story. Yeah. You know you've heard yeah. this, haven't you? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I, I and I have heard the Mandalorian as well. Okay, let's let, let, let's go in. So, what's your thoughts on? I mean, Takuichi is quite honestly the hottest director out there right now. He is. He did you did did you go see Jojo Rabbit? I've seen it. Yes, I did see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I really good. enjoyed it. Do you know what? I, I really enjoyed it. I don't think it was as good. I mean, I I still think his best movie he ever made was What We Do in the Shadows. I, I quite I always put What We Do in the Shadows as the funniest movie I've ever watched. That yeah, I mean, that yeah. is that is my that is my or our generation's holy grail as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But uh, Monty Python, sorry, and the Holy Grail. But you yeah. but, but I also really liked Wilder People. Um yeah. and 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 obviously some of the, some of the stuff before but but he is he just can't do wrong at the moment he cannot do wrong and yeah. he's in the limelight he looks good in the limelight everyone wants him and he's 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 handles fame well he's charismatic he is so charismatic and when you watch him and he's just a normal you know everyone wants to have a beer with this guy but yeah He's basically been tasked to write. Is it a trilogy? He's been tasked to write, or is it just a single film? A trilogy. I don't know. I've not got the report. I mean, I but... skimmed over. I, I skimmed over. I don't. I don't tend to read Hollywood news like into detail and research them. I just kind of get. And it's most likely going to change for whatever. I don't. They'll probably change them out at some point when they realise that it's not what it's not going to sell the most amount of merchandise. I, I would be more interested in a single movie from Taika Waititi than I would be about a trilogy. But, but the problem with a single movie is we know it will be good and they'll want more. And then he'll be signed up to do the next one. Whereas that is better than, that is better than to have a trilogy of meh. Make everyone happy. Trilogies sell more. Trilogies give more money. Give him the trilogy. Tell him to do the whole story. Tell it over three different parts and sign him for all three. Then you have the best of both worlds. You get Star Wars fans happy because they know and love trilogies, the merchandising fan because you've got three movies instead of one, and you probably, for once, will be able to start the story in one place and know how it's going to end before you just make three random films with three random... And so that, that's, that's what like I... Hell, isn't that, isn't that how trilogies are made? <laughs> I don't, don't have this discussion. I want to move on to the next piece of news with this, which is Tamira Robinson who was famously playing uh, Boba Fett in the Attack of the Clones, has been um, cast... Jangle Fett, Jangle Fett, please. Sorry, Jangle Fett, sorry. I always get those two mixed up because it's Boba Fett. Is, he's playing Boba Fett in The Mandalorian, I believe. Yes, th- this is what the report is. And, you know, just... I'm like, oh, he's dead. Like, I know it was... I, I know the character of Boba Fett achieved a cult status after Return of the Jedi, which then made his pretty crappy death in Return of the Jedi a bit disappointing. Like, I get that, but at some point, you just got to be like, right, okay, well, that sucks. But the more... But the more I watch, right, so I was remember I remember when before the Mandalorian came out, there was talks of it's a Boba Fett series gonna come out, there's a Boba Fett series gonna come out. That, that that's what everyone was talking about. And no matter how yeah. great it would be as a prequel series, you're right, it would just go, Well, this is all well and good, but he's just gonna get eaten by a big sand monster. And you're like, Oh, yeah. well, it kind of useless. But I rewatched Return of the Jedi a couple of weeks ago recently, and he watched that sequence where he rolls in and it goes burp. 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> do you like do you like my anthropomorphism there? It goes burp. <laughs> it does go burp. You're not wrong. <laughs> but it burped. You could quite easily pick it up there where he's inside the stomach, he's wriggling around, and then he just blasts his way out and you don't see it. And then it's and then he's still alive. <laughs> and that's what like, they'll do. That's what they will do. You know that's what they'll do. Like, yes, you're not wrong. But but we will all know why that decision was made. Of course, it's a proper retcon. Like, and oh yeah. But yeah, I, I but so so I'm one for I love we grew up with the prequels. Any any you know chance what, no, to reference you know the what? prequels, I sorry. love. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Do you know what? It it's it's a lot more believable than Emperor Palpatine falling down the Death right. Star. It's falling down the Death Star um, shoot, and then the whole Death Star exploding moments later. Yeah, and then for him to be alive thirty odd years in the future, or lest we forget Darth Maul for when he year. was when Darth Maul was cut in half, but they loved him so much they brought him back. Yeah, uh, have you watched Clone Wars season seven? No, I've heard it's amazing. You're- you're not allowed to slag off the return of Darth Maul until you've seen it. You're just I've not. Heard, I've heard it's amazing. I've not watched the Clone Wars at all. I mean, Darth so, so the Maul other is so good in the Clone Wars. You won't care that it's stupid that he's still alive because it is, but you won't yeah. care. <laughs> well, and then speaking of the Clone Wars, we also have the return of um, well, from the Clone Wars. I forget her name. Anakin's apprentice in that. I can't pronounce it. Is what with the two blue lightsabers? Ahsoka Tano. Ahsoka Tano. So, so Rosio, uh, Rosario Dawson is going to be playing. Uh, playing her, I think, in the next series of Mandalorian. The Mandalorian are really starting to lean quite heavily into the the, 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 the Star Wars lure. You know, you potentially got Boba Fett coming back uh, and characters from Clone Wars coming back. What's your, well, what's I think that they've that? realized, I think Disney have realized that they're most critically and well-received by fans. Media in the Star Wars has been on the telly, has been yeah. on Disney Plus in the form of The Mandalorian, and the Clone Wars. Yeah. And I think that's because fans like to spend as much time as possible in this galaxy. And that's what TV show lends itself to do. Yeah, and that, right. yeah, exactly. You get a lot more time to go with characters. And I, and I watched The Mandalorian as it was getting released in Disney Plus, and you had really great episodes like the prison ship episode, yes. which absolutely loved which was a very different it was a bit of a bo- it was a bit of a bottle episode i thought but i i did enjoy it. i love bill burr bill bill burr is one of my most favorite comedians ever which is why i liked it as well yeah and yeah you just you just got so much opportunity to tell different type of stories all in this universe that we all know that we all know and love the problem with doing the trilogies is it's do or die yes yes you know People will accept math episodes if the series is great. Yes. Yeah, I totally, people I totally see, not, yeah. People will not accept a bad Star Wars episode. We've seen that over the last handful of years. People just won't accept it. They, they want blood. Yeah. But then if you look at the Marvel series, they've been built on these great movies, these great movies, and now they're making the transition to TV. Do you think that that's going to, by the same rule of thumb, if the Falcon, the Winter Soldier, and Loki are great, and 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 One Division are great TV series, will that d- d- defer away from the films, or do you think the films have still got a good 
place in that. I'm not sure. Medium. I'm not sure if I could if I could properly articulate why I think this, but I actually think the negative. My my prediction thing, my my prediction for this is that the opposite of Star Wars will happen, and I think that the Marvel TV series will not be as well received as the movies. Mm. I'm inclined to agree and with I you. Think, I can't think why. Yeah, genuinely, I really don't know why I think this, other than like just you know, I I look forward to going to the Marvel experience in the cinema, and I look forward for these big entries that i can just sit and watch for a couple of hours it's good escapism it's well, action. But, but you love that too with star wars though don't get me wrong you love those things too but yeah you're but maybe there's a bit more of a risk with star wars isn't it you're like i hope please don't be crap please don't be crap yeah but i think star wars is prime is primarily the charm is in the characters right and TV, you spend more time with the characters. You care more about the characters and the stories rather than the action and the explosions and all of that. And I think if you were to make little episodes, there wouldn't be enough action and there'd be too much of character stuff when really you just want them to say something funny and clever and punch someone. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're not wrong. We'll, we'll have to wait and see then, I, I guess. We'll yeah. have to wait and see. Yeah. Been a good one. Yeah, it has been a good one. I thought... We, we, we kind of thought that this one would be shorter, but that didn't really end up... No, I think, we, I think we, we looked at it and we were like, oh, it's not going to be a lot, but there's been a lot of great discussion from that one. There has, there has, there has. It's been enjoyable. It's nice. I, I'm going to try and find more things that I can bring so we can actually argue as opposed to agree. Yeah, I know. We're very one-dimensional, aren't we? You, I know. I think I know what I'm going to bring next week, but I'm, I'm going to have to message it to okay, you. Cool. We, cool, we have cool. a special coming up, do we? No, no, I don't think we have a special this month until Marvel Phase, phase 3 Part 1. That's right, that's right. Yeah. We're not doing the whole Phase no, 3. We're not. <laughs> no, and <laughs> we're themes, not. Corn theme sounded good this week. Oh, uh, thank you very much. Yet to be, yet to be released on a special episode. We didn't get round to recording one for this week. Mm-hmm. I think because even though I was very ambitious and I said I'm going to release them every week, it is actually a very big workload yeah, to to write the arrangements, make sure they all work, record record them, and then edit the video. Mm. Obviously, listeners of the podcast I only hear the audio for that, but I do a four-part video segment. If you mm. follow me on social media or YouTube, then you might have seen it. Mm. So I think this week coming up, we'll do the next one. And then I'm going to try and do one every two weeks, I think. I think nice. that's a more realistic target going yeah, forward. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Don't want to yourself. But yeah, but did it make you want to maybe go and see How to Train a Dragon? Because I've, said... I've, I've seen I've seen the movie. I've seen it. Well, I you just, have. Yeah, I saw it long long ago. But I um, I, I guess the mu- music didn't stand out to me as much. I don't know. I don't know. It, it, to answer your question, yes, it did make me want to right. watch it. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, or at the very least, listen to the soundtrack because it's banging. It I have, really but I, I have done that. I have done that since. All oh, right. Okay. Fine. So it did. <laughs> Excellent. And um, what do they have to do? They have to go on to Apple Podcasts and leave us a cheeky little five-star review. And cheeky little five-star review. 
a cheeky little five star review and perhaps even an even cheekier uh, written review. Yeah. Or maybe you know, a way your to style your hair. Movie score is or ways to style your hair. Do you like the back comb? Do you like the forward comb? At what length yeah. do you think it's appropriate length to start combing it backward instead of forward out of those eyes of yours? Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, how, how would you trim Callum's other area? <laughs> with that. I have to edit that, in which case I'll edit <laughs> My... this bit too. <laughs> but that'll make no sense. Apologies for that. <laughs> Um, if you want to email the show, you can also email us at motionspod at gmail.com where we will answer any of the questions. And we've, we've had some great questions com- coming through, but I, I guess we've, we've tried to cover them off through our conversations rather than just going, this person has asked this question. We kind of just talked around them. So hopefully we've been able to answer some of those questions that have come to us. But if you have anything else and you kind of go, no, I want this answered as very specific as opposed to just trying to mold it into the conversation, then uh, yeah send us an email and we'd, we'd, love, uh, we'd love to get back to you on that one there. Yeah, we Excellent. absolutely would. Uh, I think that's everything for me then. Yeah, Excellent. I'd say so. Well, I will see you all very soon. See you next week. Bye for me. Yeah, bye guys. Ta-ta. <laughs>